I'll add my good morning to you all. Thank you all for being here. It's uh, always good to, to look out and see a, uh, a good crowd, not for numbers' sake, but for the very idea that we can be together on the first day of the week and uh, encourage one another and, and as we worship our God. It is a wonderful blessing and an honor to be able to do so. Thank you all so much for being here this morning. Just a very quick personal note, I wanted to thank you all for the outpouring of love and, and support and, and well wishes and gifts uh, for Janae and I as we began our uh, life together as husband and wife just uh, about a week ago, I think it was. Thank you all so much. Thank you all who attended the ceremony. It was wonderful. It was beautiful, just like we had, uh, had dreamed of, to be able just to, to be together and to enjoy each other and to uh, yeah, have a wedding ceremony amongst, amongst the shrimp and the conch fritters. So thank you all so much for that. It was a wonderful, beautiful wedding. And we ask for your prayers for Janae and I and for Travis and Sierra as we begin our life together as a new family. We're very, very blessed uh, to be able to do so. And it, I'm going to give you fair warning that uh, my life has changed quite a bit, and my lessons might change a little bit over, over time. So um, it is a wonderful new journey that we're embarking on. Thank you all so very much, and for your prayers for me over the years, um, that I might find a good godly woman to, to, to share this life with. This morning I want to talk about walking in the light. As I have done over the last couple of years, I've come up with a theme uh, for the year that helps to kind of um, guide us along. Not every lesson throughout the year will be from this theme, but usually I try to do at least one a month um, that, that share a common theme. And this year what I want to look at is this the idea of, of walking in the light. It comes from, the majority of it comes from what Russ read from us a minute ago in 1 John uh, chapter 1, where it says there to indeed walk in the light. Um, and that's what we're going to focus on uh, throughout the year. And what I want to do this morning is, is introduce this idea of, of what it means to walk in the light. Light is used throughout Scripture um, at, its, at its very basic level, and, and we see it time and time again, and it always refers this way, that the light is righteousness and the darkness is evil. And so that's at the root of, of most every time we see light mentioned. It also talks about the, the light of God, and, and we'll look at that in a little bit more detail this morning. God is, is depicted as such, and, and, and the idea of, of him illuminating us, him illuminating the world, him illuminating uh, what it means uh, for something to be indeed truthful. That comes through the illumination of light. And those things that are hidden... Those things that are evil, those things are in darkness. And so there's that contrast that is, that is throughout. So throughout the year, I want to be bringing some lessons on this idea. And as we establish some, some of these ground, uh, these fundamental things about light and dark, and as we often do, we'll, we'll make the application. What, how can we walk in the light? And in that is the idea also, and Paul uses this, this word, this verb as well as John, the idea of walking. And it's, it's the idea that we're not just sitting idly by and, and letting our spirituality come to us. 
It's the idea that we're moving forward. It's the idea that we're progressing and growing and always doing so. And so that's uh, fundamentally important as our walk as a Christian. So we're going to be looking at those things throughout the year. This morning I want to start by um, talking about uh, that light of old. You know, this is it's not just in the New Testament that um, we see light being talked about, of course. We see it in the Old Testament as well. One of those examples is from Psalms, Psalm 89, if you'd like to turn there and read with me. Psalm 89, and, and this psalm talks about God and the idea of, of light. I want you to think about the Almighty God and who He is and what He is capable of. And that there is indeed no limitation to his power. In Psalm 89, beginning in verse 11, it says, The heavens are thine, the earth is, al- the earth is also thine, the world and all it contains, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon, shout for joy at thy name. Thou hast a strong arm, thy hand is mighty, thy right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of thy throne. Loving kindness and truth go before thee. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of thy countenance. In thy name they rejoice all the day, and by thy righteousness they are exalted. For thou art the glory of thy strength, and thy favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Isn't that a beautiful way to describe the Almighty God? Nothing is out of His grasp. Nothing is out of His reach. Nothing is of existence that He didn't make. As it says there in verse 15, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of Thy countenance. Isn't it a wonderful thing to think about the light of the Almighty God? We wouldn't know light without God. We are told in the story of creation from Genesis 1 how God spoke the world into existence, right? Everything that we know, he spoke into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he set up the ways that that would govern the light, the sun during the day and the moon at night, so that we have that physical light by which we can live our daily lives. But the idea also here is that the light of God. Let's explore that a little bit more. In Isaiah 2, there's the idea of God being a light to his people. This is a familiar passage. I come here a lot, especially the early verses here, because this is um, prophecy about the establishment of the kingdom. This is, as is with prophecy, often there's an immediate application and a far-reaching application. In verse 2, of Isaiah 2, it says, Now it will come in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Of course, this is the idea of, of Jesus coming and establishing the kingdom. Verse 3, And many peoples will come and say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and from the word, uh, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
This is the idea, of course, of this, uh, the kingdom being established. Verse 4, And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions to many people, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. It's a beautiful kingdom that is being talked about here. And that is the establishment of the everlasting kingdom that God will set up in the last days, when Jesus will come to the earth and, and, and set up that kingdom. Look what it says in verse 5. Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's the more immediate prophecy and the more immediate pleading to the house of Jacob. Let us walk in the house of the Lord. There's a time coming that God's going to set up the everlasting kingdom. But God is never going to leave the earth until that final time when the earth is destroyed. So all the earth walks in the light of the Lord. And especially his children. He is a light for his people. He is, the way, he is the, the, that light that lights the pathway, that shows the way. That is the God that we serve. There's another light that is promised. Look over a few pages in chapter 9 of Isaiah. As we talk about prophecy of that coming kingdom... We can't help but understand about the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Chapter 9 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali which, with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Again, here's some prophecy about the coming of the light. The glorious light, and this light is being talked about, is the light of Jesus. This is the prophecy of the coming of that time, the establishment of the kingdom, and is spoken of in this way, as those who are walking in darkness, who are left to wander, in a world that was, that was so dark and, and, and overcome by sin. But yet there's a light. A light that's coming. And that light is fulfilled in Jesus. Look over in John chapter 1. <clears throat> this is a familiar passage to us. But hopefully should speak to us and resonate with us a little bit more as we talk about the light that came into the world. John so beautifully describes it here in the opening of his gospel. Verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was the life, and the life was what? The light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man set, uh, sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might, be believed, that might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. Of course, it's speaking of John the Baptist, that one, that precursor to Jesus that would come, that voice crying in the wilderness, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't the light. But he bore witness to the light. Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were with him, uh, who were his own, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful to think about the light coming into the world that illumines all man, that illuminates all men? What does that mean? It means it gives us the ability to see the complete fulfillment of God's promise to redeem man from his sins. The promise goes all the way back to Abraham. When Abraham was blessed, a a nation and a land, and through his seed all nations would be blessed. And that is the blessing, the, the prophecy, the promise that God was going to redeem man from his sins. And the ultimate expression of that is Jesus Christ. And John describes it as the light that comes into the world and illuminates all mankind. So now we know the truth. Now we know the ultimate expression. And that is God's plan fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The light brings the message of repentance. Look over in Matthew chapter 4. These words should hopefully echo with you and just as we read these here in just a moment. But this message, the the light, Jesus Christ bringing the light into the world, what is the message that he's bringing? It's a message of repentance. It's a message that you have to change. The light has shown you what the truth is. So what is your response to that going to be? Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee... And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. I hope those resonate with you here, those two places, those two lands. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land of shadow of death, upon them light dawned. See, there's that prophecy that Isaiah spoke. Here's Matthew reminding the readers that there's the prophecy. That in the land of Naphtali, the land of Zebulon, that from Galilee, the light is going to come. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Upon them light dawned. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's exactly what John the Baptist was saying himself. As he was that voice crying in the wilderness, you look there back in chapter 3 and verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Word for word. John bore witness of the light. He wasn't the light. He bore witness of the light. Jesus is the light. What does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the light that is fulfilled in Jesus, the light which illumines all man, is a message of repentance. That you need to change your ways, O man. And turn to God. And turn away from sin. And to be redeemed back to God. Let's talk about the glorious light of God. Let's go back to Isaiah, now chapter 60. 
glorious light of God. The glorious light of God, it lights up the kingdom. Chapter 60, beginning in verse 1, it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? That the light shining upon us, shining upon the kingdom, will bring others to us. Look over in verse 19 of chapter 16 in Isaiah. It says, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will set no more, neither will your moon wane. For you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be finished. As I mentioned a minute ago, God set it up so that the sun would rule the day and the moon would rule the night. Those are the physical things in which we still enjoy to this day. We enjoy the sunlight as we walk out of this building. But the prophecy here and, and, and the idea that's being spoken of here is the idea of God illumining all things. That he is the light. That he is the one that lights up the kingdom. Not in the physical way, but the, the spiritual way in which we're, we're thinking here. He is the one that illumines all things. It brings us into the knowledge of all things through his glorious light. Not only does it light up the kingdom, but it lights up heaven. Look over in Revelation 22. As we were reading those passages there in Isaiah 60, I'm, I'm sure your mind jumped to this, of what is spoken of in Revelation 22. It's not just Jesus, uh, God lighting up uh, the kingdom, but also the idea of, of him lighting up all of heaven. Chapter 22 and verse 5, it says, And there shall no longer be any night, and there shall no longer have the need uh, of the lamp, or the lamp of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. I, we were talking this morning in our Bible class, some things we just can't quite get our arms around, right? We're still stuck in these mortal bodies. We have an inkling of it, we have a very good idea of things. Some things we just can't quite understand. Can you imagine a place that, that John is being shown here and he's writing about it. Verse 1 of chapter 22, He showed me a river, the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit. The healing of the nation no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. All these physical, and earlier he talked about the gates and the walls and of the new Jerusalem and all those things that he describes there in the physical sense. But the sun's not shining on it. The moon's not shining on it. The light is coming from God. That's one of those things that's a little hard to get our arms around, isn't it? We can see the things. John is able to see the things, but they're being illumined by God. And this light that is being spoken of here, this heavenly light, it shines through Jesus. Back up in chapter 21 and verse 23, similar language to what was just said, but uh, 
a subtle difference here that we can see. Verse 23 of chapter 21, Revelation. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. I didn't really think about that little part of this until putting this lesson together here. It's God that's shining. He is the one who has illumined it. But the light comes through the Lamb. The lamp is the Lamb. And who, of course, is the Lamb? That's Jesus. So it shines through Jesus. I never thought about it in those terms. But there's the idea here that the light is, is God, but it shines through Jesus. What a beautiful expression that is. And it fits in with what we've talked about, how Jesus came into the world. He was the light of the world. He illumined mankind. In him is no darkness at all. Having said all that, how do we then walk in the light? Jesus began this talk, began this journey of ours. By teaching us that we ought to walk in the light. Look in John chapter 8. <clears throat> in his teaching, he taught his disciples and, and, and through them us about walking in the light. Chapter 8 of John, verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. There it is again. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Look over a couple of pages in chapter 12 of John. Verses 35 and 36. Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. The application here, of course, immediately is those who behold, beheld Jesus, who were with him during his time on earth. He's saying the light's only going to be here a little bit more. You need to walk with it. Walk with the light and walk in the light. While you have the light, believe in it in order that you may become sons of the light. Remember what Jesus did. He illumined man, mankind. He brought the truth. He showed people what it means to be a true follower of God, both by word and by example. And then John reminds us in his epistles, go over to 1 John chapter 1. This is where Russ read from a minute ago. So as Jesus, John records in his gospel there about Jesus teaching us uh, to walk in the light, John reminds those he's writing to that they need to walk in the light. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 5, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. See, there again is that theme that underlines all of this. Light and dark, good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see how there's a separation between the two? It's black and white, or white and black. Light and darkness. You can't walk in one and say that you're in the other. 
you're walking in darkness, you're in darkness. And the opposite is true. If you're walking in the light, you're in the light. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's that distinction. You're either one or the other. Either in darkness or you're in light. John reminds the readers what Jesus had taught them about walking in the light. One last thing to consider. With all of this, we are expected to be lights in the world. In Matthew 5 and verse 14, as Jesus gives that Sermon on the Mount that we know so well, he tells his listeners there, you are lights of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So in all of this, what, we're, what has been established and what uh, the ultimate expression for us is that we are to be the lights in the world. Look over in Philippians chapter 2 with me. <clears throat> we are to be the lights in the world. Remember there in, in John 12, Jesus is telling them, I, I'm only going to be here a little while longer. But there's something that's going to be left behind, and that is the word of God. And the light that that is, that shines and illumines everything, gives us all truth. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, Paul is saying here, it's great if you're to do it while I'm around you, but I'm not going to always be around you. You've got to work this out yourself. You've got to work out your own salvation. What does that mean? It means you've got to, 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 to read and to understand the word of God so that you don't rely on anybody else for your salvation. You rely on yourself. Verse 13, for it is God who is, is at work with you, in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, listen, among whom you appear as lights in the world. See, there's the idea again a perverse, wicked generation, in a world that is in so much darkness, we are to appear as lights in the world. What does the light do? Well, we've, we've mentioned it. It lights the way. It shows us the path. A lamp unto my feet. It shows us the way in which to go. A city set on a, upon a hill cannot be hidden. We live in an area where there's lighthouses, right? For those who navigate around, they're important. Why? Because they show us the way or show us what to avoid <laughs> in some cases. We're drawn to the light. It shows us the way. God has given us so much uh, light through his word, the truth in his word. And he has demonstrated through his son how we are to live in this world. He's given us those ultimate examples of, of service and what it means to be compassionate, and what it means to, to look upon others and to help them and to serve your fellow mankind. 
And in so doing, we serve as those lights in the world. And in so doing, we walk in the light. There in the, the bottom corner of that picture there is Latin. It says, in luce ambulant. And that means, well, directly it means, it means in the light walk. If you were to look in the Latin Vulgate or, or other Latin translations of the New Testament, 1 John 1, verse 7, that's what it would say, in luce ambulant. I like that. I like seeing things like that in Latin. We, we, we're familiar with those. What's the one on the coin, e pluribus unum? We see those things. They're part of our language because our language has descended from, from Latin. It's good sometimes to go back and, and look and see because when I see that, I, I don't recognize it as language, right? I, I see the words. I can pronounce them fairly well. But I have to think about what it means. And I love the fact that it says, in the light, walk. There's a sign above our door that says that, in luce ambulant. So every time we walk out the door, hopefully, we look up there and see that, and think about what it means. It means that as I walk out of this door, I need to be walking in the light. Maybe sunlight, maybe moonlight. Maybe street light. That's the physical light. That's not the light we're talking about. We're talking about the light of God. We're talking about that light that illumines all mankind. We're talking about the light that, that has shown us the God that we serve. We're talking about a light that shows God's people the way they ought to go. I would encourage you to think about this lesson today and as you leave from here about walking in the light not the sunlight not the moonlight but the light that comes from God that's the light that we need to be walking in I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you we offer an invitation at the end of our time as we always do if there's those among us who are not walking in the light who have not put on Christ who have not become a child of his, not a member of the kingdom, we offer an invitation that you can make that correction in your life and repent and become a child of God. And if as a child of God you find yourself not walking in the light, there's only one place that you will be walking if you're not walking in light, and that's walking in darkness. I would encourage you to make things right while it is still today, while you still have opportunity. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.